Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 119, the iPhone's Goldilocks era. Hi, I'm Neil. I'm back. It feels good to be back. I was getting some questions. Where did I go? Where did the podcast go? Well, the past few weeks have been extremely busy and also exciting for my family. My wife gave birth to our second son, baby James. Both mom and baby are doing well. I sort of hinted at the end of last episode that the podcast schedule was going to get a little bit crazy in the coming weeks. That's exactly what happened. But I am getting back into the swing of things. Earlier this week, over at AboveAvalon.com, I published the Goldilocks era for iPhone has begun. That is going to serve as a basis for today's episode. A few weeks ago, Apple reported first quarter 2018 earnings. And one of the major themes had to do with the iPhone. I called the iPhone business messy. And I referred to the iPhone story as getting more complicated. And over the days and weeks following Apple's earnings, I took a closer look at what I think is really going on with the iPhone business. And I came to the conclusion that we are seeing a new era for iPhone. And this era is going to be very different than what we've seen in the past. The iPhone is entering an era that can best be characterized as status quo. I think the days of huge growth, those days are over. And I also don't think fundamentals are going to improve significantly from current levels. However, there are underlying dynamics at play here that will likely keep the iPhone business from seeing sales and revenue fall off a cliff in the near term. There is probably going to be a remarkable level of sustainability when looking at iPhone sales. I think we are seeing the iPhone's Goldilocks era. The best place to begin is with iPhone sales. Whenever I'm looking at the big picture for iPhone, I like looking at unit sales on a trailing 12 months basis. I can only get so much from just looking at one quarter of sales. We know that iPhone sales are very, very strong in the fiscal year first quarter. We usually have iPhone launches, we have the holidays, That doesn't really tell us a whole lot, though. So let's take that quarter and combine it with sales from the previous three quarters. This is exactly what I did in Exhibit 1 over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article. There is a link to the article in this week's show notes. When you look at iPhone unit sales on a trailing 12 months basis, what you find is that sales have plateaued at a 215 million units per year pace. And it looks like Apple reached this sales plateau in mid-2016. It is very clear. The unit sales growth era that had defined iPhone for years is over. With that big picture view in mind, my attention then turned to iPhone unit sales growth on a year-over-year basis. And I wanted to look at things on a sell-through basis. So that's another way of saying I wanted to look at how customer demand for iPhone has changed. There's an issue, though. When you look at iPhone sales in terms of what Apple reports, that's not on a sell-through basis. iPhone sales are reported on a sell-in basis. So that's another way of saying that Apple classifies an iPhone as sold once it is shipped from the factory. There are exceptions to that rule. For example, if you buy an iPhone from Apple.com, your iPhone purchase counts as an actual purchase. It's reported in Apple's quarterly earnings 
once you receive that iPhone. But for most iPhone sales, it doesn't work like that. Instead, once those iPhones are shipped from the factory, they're counted, they're classified as sold. And so if you want to look at customer demand for iPhone, you need to exclude all of the inventory adjustments that we see with iPhone. And Apple reports this on a quarterly basis. You want a certain amount of inventory in the channel. You want people to be able to go to a store, buy an iPhone without too much hassle. However, there is a situation that's possible where Apple puts too many iPhones into the channel. This is another way of saying channel stuffing. And this is especially possible if there's an environment of slowing demand. This is why to get the most accurate view of iPhone demand, you have to exclude channel inventory adjustments. On a sell-through basis, iPhone unit sales growth hit a high point in late 2014 and early 2015. This was associated with very strong iPhone 6 and 6 Plus sales. In addition, Apple launched iPhone at China Mobile, which is a very big factor. During this time, a lot of people looked at iPhone sales and thought, this is maybe the new normal. We're going to see very strong double-digit unit sales growth for the foreseeable future. You had people start to look at India, and they said, well, maybe India can kind of come right after China and keep this sales boom going. Didn't happen. Apple suffered a very difficult 2016. You saw iPhone demand on a sell-through basis. It turned negative. People were shocked. They were very surprised. And when you look at iPhone demand in recent quarters, I think the best way of describing it is it's anemic. And there's really no evidence to suggest things are going to change in the near term. Management's second quarter 2018 guidance points to only a slight improvement in iPhone sell-through demand. So one of the major takeaways here is when you look at analysts calling for iPhone 10 to kick off some type of mega upgrade cycle in 2018, it's not happening. Those analysts have given up on that thesis. The thing is, this mega upgrade cycle, I've been skeptical about that from the beginning because there have been a number of growth headwinds found in the iPhone business. And this takes us to an article that I wrote in May 2016 titled iPhone Warning Signs. For longtime listeners, you're probably familiar with this because it was episode 61. And what we're going to do is, because it's been two years since that episode, I want to quickly go over what these iPhone warning signs were all about and why this lack of iPhone unit sales growth that we're now seeing, it actually isn't too surprising to me. In May 2016, I wrote, the iPhone growth story is breaking apart and management does not seem to be in control of the situation. I then went over four iPhone growth warning signs. Another way of saying headwinds or issues that are going to impact iPhone sales growth. And what we've seen over the subsequent two years is that those iPhone growth warning signs have fully materialized. The first, mobile carrier expansion is complete. Apple no longer has this sales tailwind from bringing iPhone to new carriers around the world. The second growth warning sign, India isn't the next China. 
So if you have this expectation that Apple can turn to India and or position India as an iPhone sales growth engine, it's not going to happen. I think that expectation is misplaced in the near term. The third warning sign, smartphone saturation. The era of iPhone sales growth coming from people buying their first smartphone, it's come to an end. And then the fourth iPhone growth warning sign, running out of Android switchers. There are only so many premium Android users in a position to switch to iPhone. Another way of viewing these iPhone growth warning signs was that they were red flags. They were telling us that it was going to become very difficult for Apple to continue reporting iPhone sales growth. We now see two additional red flags, and these ones, they matter. They're a very big deal. The iPhone upgrade rate continues to slow. What that means is iPhone users are holding on to their devices for longer before upgrading. This trend has been unfolding for years. However, I think the impact on iPhone sales is only now being felt. The second red flag is over-serving users. When you look at why iPhone users are holding onto their devices for longer, I think one reason is that their needs are being met with older models and less capable features. While a new iPhone like the iPhone X may still be intriguing and enticing to a majority of iPhone users, there is a growing percentage of the iPhone install base that will look at the iPhone X and then look at their current iPhone. And they'll come to the conclusion that their current iPhone is good enough. They are content with their older device. Ultimately, what this does is it pushes that iPhone upgrade out. So maybe it was after two or three years, and well, now it's more like three, four, maybe eventually even five years. Instead of there being one particular reason or cause for the lack of iPhone unit sales growth, I think the six preceding factors that we just talked about, they've come together to create a less friendly growth environment. Now, given so many iPhone sales growth headwinds, it's logical to assume iPhone sales will decline. I think some people may look at this and go, iPhone sales are going to decline in a very big way. In such a hypothetical situation, maybe the iPhone tracks similar to that of iPad. Over a number of years, iPad sales declined 40% from peak levels. However, I don't think such a scenario is likely in the near term. And the reason is there are unique fundamentals underlying the iPhone business that are different than the iPad business. And I think that difference is going to result in a more resilient iPhone business. There are two iPhone sales drivers. The first is new iPhone users. This is another way of saying switchers. This group includes consumers buying their first iPhone from Apple or a third-party retailer. So once someone buys an iPhone from Apple or a third-party retailer, that person officially becomes part of the iPhone install base. The second iPhone sales driver is existing iPhone users. This is another way of saying upgraders. 
So this group includes current iPhone users who purchase another iPhone from either Apple or third-party retailer. Those two sales drivers determine overall iPhone sales. And so what we could do is take a closer look at the dynamic between those two items. Something interesting happens. Over the past six years, Apple has seen very strong iPhone sales to new users. This is why Apple has been able to grow the iPhone install base by so much. According to my estimates, the iPhone install base was 100 million people in 2011. Seven years later, in 2018, it's more than 700 million. So the iPhone install base has grown by seven times in seven years. Where did all these users come from? What's well, changed over the years? In the beginning, feature phone users drove iPhone install base growth. Then you start to see BlackBerry users become a growth driver. Today, Apple is growing the iPhone install base by having Android users switch platforms and also target people using pre-owned or hand-me-down iPhones. So if you're using a hand-me-down iPhone and then you decide, I'm going to buy a new iPhone from Apple, well, you are officially part of the iPhone install base. So you classify as a new iPhone user. I estimate Apple grew the iPhone install base by more than 100 million people in 2017. That's a very big number. Adding 100 million customers to the iPhone install base is an accomplishment. It's no small feat. However, that estimate reflects Apple's first year-over-year -year decline in the number of new users entering the install base. What is going on here? All of those iPhone sales growth headwinds that we just talked about, they're starting to take their toll. They are impacting the number of new people that Apple is able to bring into the iPhone install base. I think it is logical to assume iPhone sales to new users will continue to decline as time goes on. So it is possible that Apple put in a peak in 2016 when it comes to bringing in new users into the iPhone install base. Now, there is a benefit found with having all of these years of strong growth in the iPhone install base. And that is, you now have a lot more people who are in a position to upgrade to a new iPhone. And so now we turn to our attention to sales to upgraders. So according to my estimate, Apple sold a record number of iPhones to existing users. We're looking at more than 100 million. Now this may seem counterintuitive, because I just said a couple minutes ago that the iPhone upgrade rate is slowing. So how is it that Apple is selling more iPhones to current iPhone users? Well, this is where you have to go back and look at the iPhone install base growth. There's simply more people with an iPhone. And so the increase in the install base has more than offset the headwind that's caused by slowing iPhone upgrade rate. Accordingly, I think it is logical to assume iPhone sales to upgraders, it's going to remain robust as time goes on. That may surprise a lot of people. When you combine iPhone sales to new users with sales to upgraders, you get a clearer view 
of the iPhone business. The number of iPhones sold to existing users is increasing at approximately the same rate as the number of iPhones sold to new users is declining. This is the dynamic that led to Apple reporting roughly flat iPhone sales for the past two years. Said another way, the iPhone business is operating at a sales equilibrium. Turn your attention to iPad. It took iPad years to find its sales equilibrium after putting in that sales peak in 2013. Meanwhile, products like iPod, BlackBerry, they never found a sales equilibrium. Outside forces ultimately reduced their long-term value. The iPhone is different. The iPhone business has entered a new era in which status quo is the new normal. This new dynamic will encompass unit sales growth, average selling price, revenue, and even margin. At this point, let's take a few minutes to go over each one of those fundamentals and how they will change in this Goldilocks era. We will begin with unit sales. There is no clear path for Apple to grow iPhone sales substantially from current levels. I just don't see it. It is possible Apple will still report quarterly iPhone unit sales growth from time to time. I think unit sales growth is possible next quarter. If you have favorable year-over-year compares, it's going to make it that much easier for Apple to report some unit sales growth. However, that growth is not going to represent some kind of step increase in sales. I just don't see a scenario where that happens. Now, as long as Apple is able to bring in new users, a scenario that I think is going to continue for at least the next few years, the iPhone install base will continue to grow. And I think it's that expansion that will help offset all of the pressure that's building from a slowing upgrade rate. A good rule of thumb here is that annual iPhone sales will likely remain around 215 million units, give or take 10%, for the next two to three years. That's going to be part of the Goldilocks era. Once new user trends slow to the point where Apple really isn't even growing the install base, that's when all bets are off in terms of annual iPhone sales. From a unit sales perspective, if Apple isn't bringing in any new iPhone users, that will likely mark the top for iPhone sales. We know that because the iPhone upgrade rate is continuing to elongate. I think Apple has a few years before this scenario takes place. The next variable is average selling price. So similar to iPhone sales growth, I think iPhone ASP will likely follow this Goldilocks path of not being too hot or cold. Instead, it's going to be pretty much status quo. After years of remarkable consistency, iPhone ASP hit a record high last quarter, $796. Not only was that a record high, but the increase, the sequential jump in average selling price from the previous quarter was a record iPhone average selling price jumped $178. What's going on here? Well, the strong ASP was driven by iPhone 8, iPhone 8 Plus, and of course, 
iPhone 10. It was sort of a perfect storm for iPhone ASB last quarter. But when you look at management commentary for the upcoming quarter, iPhone ASP is going to fall. And it's going to fall faster than in previous years. I think iPhone ASP is going to decline even further as we move away from the iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and 10 launches. Taking a step back from any one quarter, Apple can only push so far with iPhone pricing in the near term before you see demand trailing off due to accessibility concerns. A lot of people thought the threshold was $999. It was basically a $1,000 iPhone. That turned out to be wrong. Instead, I think that threshold is closer to $1,500. Once Apple goes beyond that, you're going to see demand destruction. Meanwhile, Apple continues to get aggressive at the other end of the iPhone pricing spectrum as they work to lower the entry-level price. I think what's going to happen here is iPhone ASP is going to experience a reversion to the mean, which is just about $650 or so. One factor that will likely keep iPhone average selling price from collapsing below $650 is prospects of a higher-priced iPhone X with a larger screen. That model will come to support average selling price, and I think instead you're going to probably see ASP reach some sort of equilibrium at this point. So again, status quo is the phrase going forward. Next is revenue. Apple saw pretty robust iPhone revenue growth last quarter. Most of that was due to the jump in iPhone average selling price. So if we're forecasting average selling price to revert back to the mean, well, combine that with modest iPhone unit sales growth, I think iPhone revenue growth will also become less robust going forward. Margins. Apple doesn't disclose iPhone margins. Instead, what we have to do is look at overall results and back into an estimate. So given how the company's overall gross margin has been pretty stable, accordingly, there's no reason to think that iPhone margins have deteriorated significantly in recent years. I just don't see it. Instead, what I think is going on here is that services revenue growth, which has a higher margin, is offsetting a lot of margin pressure that may be found with Apple Watch or iPad. Meanwhile, the iPhone has sort of been able to hold its own. I don't think this dynamic is really going to change much in the near term. When you look at Apple's broader iPhone strategy, they are using higher priced and high margin SKUs at one end to offset any margin pressure that may come from a lower price SKU at the other end of the spectrum. As long as that dynamic holds up, I don't think you're going to see iPhone margins collapse. But on the flip side, I don't think you're going to see iPhone margins improve from this point. Again, not at least in the near term. There are two major implications from the iPhone business entering a Goldilocks era. One has to do with time. The second has to do with money. A relatively stable iPhone business buys Apple management much-needed time to come up with the next big thing. It's been a little more than three years since Apple unveiled Apple Watch. September 2014. Apple Watch was Apple's most recent major new product category. 
When you look at things like Apple Pencil, wireless AirPods, HomePod, those are accessories. They are meant to work with Apple's major product categories. I don't think it's realistic to expect Apple to launch a new major product category every three or four years. I think there is a lot of focus on how iPad came in so close after iPhone and that going forward, every three years, you're going to see something big from Apple in terms of a new major product category. I don't think that's likely. Instead, pressure for Apple to unveil a new product category will likely begin to grow in, say, 2019 or 2020. Now you're looking at more like five or six years after the Apple Watch was unveiled. A stable iPhone business gives management that additional time to develop that new major product category. If you had a situation where the iPhone business was imploding overnight, you would see a lot of costs, a lot of loud costs for Apple to get its act together and come up with something new. Maybe one product, two products, more. Stable iPhone business offsets that. It delays that for a couple years. So Apple has additional time. The second major implication has to do with money. The iPhone is kicking off approximately $60 billion of gross profit per year. In this Goldilocks era, well, fundamentals aren't really going to improve, but I don't think fundamentals are going to deteriorate much. So what that means is that the iPhone will continue to kick off approximately $60 billion of gross profit per year. Over the next three years, Apple stands to earn close to $200 billion of gross profit from the iPhone. That is enough cash to support Apple's organic growth, Apple R&D, M&A, and there still would be funds to handle Apple's capital return program. This is one reason why I think a Goldilocks era for iPhone may not be the worst thing for Wall Street. Because if you have a stable iPhone business that's kicking off consistent cash flow to fund things like share buyback, quarterly cash dividends, there may be a group of shareholders who look at that and go, that's acceptable. We are okay with that. And then, of course, you have the broader implication of if the iPhone is kicking off all of this cash that's funding the rest of Apple, well, that's not just a good thing for Wall Street. It's a good thing for Apple. It's a good thing for Apple employees. It's a good thing for Apple users. You don't have a situation where Apple's primary cash machine turns off or shuts off overnight. When I was coming up with the name for this new iPhone era, Goldilocks, my mind turned to the mid-2000s and how there was this school of thought that viewed the U.S. as having a Goldilocks economy. So instead of strong economic growth, which would have led to inflation, or weak economic growth, which would lead to a recession, the economy was following a path somewhere in the middle. Well, as we later found out, during this time, an asset bubble was forming in housing. And that bubble burst in 2007. We then had a massive recession, and it was made much worse by how all of these toxic financial instruments were built, and they all essentially imploded or exploded. They were all based on an inflated asset. And this got me thinking, is there an item, is there a variable that may do the same to the iPhone business? 
So while we're talking about this Goldilocks era, not too hot, but not too cold, well, is there something that may be developing or building in the background that has the potential to appear suddenly and just unravel the iPhone business overnight? When you look at what have been positioned as iPhone risk, you have items like voice, the post-device era, China, a lack of innovation, and new products. Recently, voice has been sort of positioned as that wild card. So people think that the expansion of rudimentary digital voice assistants into platforms will cause data to increasingly be transferred via voice and value will move away from apps, touchscreens. Essentially, a picture is painted where the iPhone doesn't do too well. You have Google, Amazon, even Facebook, mostly every company not named Apple, kind of pushing towards this post-device era. You have these cloud services, these all-powerful cloud services, reducing value found with hardware. That certainly would represent a risk factor for iPhone. China, the iPhone business, could experience a sizable contraction overnight if there's a new policy that's enacted in China targeting Apple. And then, of course, you have things like lack of innovation. So if you have mediocre iPhone features that really don't push the iPhone forward, that could result in longer upgrade cycles, lower margins, fewer sales, and then, of course, new products. So maybe there's something else that comes and reduces the value found with iPhone. When you look at those five risk factors, China regulatory issues are the only item that's capable of impacting the decent portion of iPhone sales overnight. I estimate China is responsible for something like 30% of iPhone sales. All of these other risk factors, they're not as big of a near-term concern. They're more of a long-term risk. Even then, I'm not so sure about some of those risk factors. I think the narratives wrapped around a couple of them are off-base. I think the largest wildcard that would jeopardize the iPhone business over the long run is a new kind of screen that is able to grab our time and attention away from iPhone. I don't think voice by itself will be the answer. This screen won't replace the iPhone, just as the iPhone didn't replace a laptop or desktop. Instead, you will see this screen initially appeal to those who feel overserved by iPhone. Eventually, this screen will get an increasing number of new tasks to handle. It will get new workflows, some of which were never given to the iPhone. I think Apple Watch and a pair of smart glasses are positioned to be those screens. Here's the thing, though. The initial version of these smart glasses, we can also maybe call them augmented reality glasses, the initial version for the mass market will probably be more like a head-up display. And it's going to be positioned as a smartphone accessory. So this leads me to think it's going to be difficult for a new product to unravel the iPhone business overnight. I just don't see it. The iPhone is simply too multifunctional and multipurpose. This artificial sense of safety found with such a statement does not escape me. I think the moment when it seems like there is nothing that can impact a business or product, that is exactly the time 
when you have to throw safety out the window. The iPhone Goldilocks era is all about stable fundamentals for the next two to three years. I think during this period, Apple will continue to experiment with higher priced and more capable iPhone SKUs at the high end, while iPhone will be made more accessible with lower pricing at the low end. This Goldilocks era assumes Apple will continue to push iPhone innovation. When Apple launches a new iPhone, its most formidable competitor will continue to be last year's iPhone, its predecessor. That dynamic will continue in this Goldilocks era. As for what comes next, what's after Goldilocks? A good argument can be made that the iPhone's future is one of a powerful augmented reality navigator. In this environment, Apple Watch and Apple Glasses handle much of the low-hanging fruit in terms of mobile task and workflows. Meanwhile, the iPhone is positioned as a more powerful computer targeting increasingly niche applications. In that scenario, iPhone sales will probably decline, but average selling price and margin trends will likely improve. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this Apple analysis and you want more of it throughout the week, I do publish an exclusive daily email about Apple. This email is available to above Avalon subscribers. To become a subscriber and receive these daily emails, just head on over to aboveavalon.com and then click the subscribe page. There's plenty more information on subscriptions. They're either $10 per month or $100 per year. I did want to mention that a few weeks ago, I published my Apple first quarter 2018 earnings review. So there were two emails sent to subscribers. The first contained the major themes from earnings, and the second contained my full notes from earnings. So we went over 32 different topics. And then given the daily email structure, I have opportunity to go over some of those topics in greater detail in the subsequent days and weeks. Above Avalon subscriptions include access to the archives. You can go back and read previous daily emails. In addition, you can access the subscriber forum. This has turned into a great place for in-depth discussion and debate about Apple. Last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for the podcast in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.